powerful. Thank you. Words were wonderful, wonderful. Turn to the book of Hebrews, if you would, Hebrews chapter 2. I want to uh, say thank you to Mrs. Brown and Mrs. Williams for organizing and putting together the ladies' retreat. I know they enjoyed themselves and they had a good time. And uh, it's always good when our ladies go away a few days. They come back so sweet and blessed and encouraged. Always helps the services. You know, when Mama's happy, everybody's happy. Amen? So praise the Lord for that. A few ladies wanted to go. And, of course, death came to a few households this week. And they had to not be able to go. And I know um, there's a lot of sadness uh, with those families, so remember those in bereavement this week. And uh, but, ladies, thank you again for your putting it together. I know, I know, it was helpful to all that went. Hebrews chapter two, and we've had uh, what three three Sundays uh, so far that we tried to give a clear presentation of the gospel, knowing it was the Sunday school campaign month, and we could have some visitors that know not the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And uh, today I want to wrap up with a thought regarding salvation once more, and we're going to move on. But it is my responsibility as pastor to make sure that from this pulpit comes messages that are timely and and that will help people. And if you're saved, you're already going to heaven, thank God for that. You should pray for this sermon. And uh, But you should rejoice in the fact that the Lord saved your soul, and you know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Amen. And that this campaign has done one thing for us, is make us more soul conscious. I've been, I'll talk about that tonight in the evening service to the church. But today I have a subject that's it's rather serious, and I, I pray that everyone would understand uh, the purpose in this sermon today. I want to preach out of Hebrews chapter 2, the first three verses, salvation's procrastination. Salvation's procrastination. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give more heed, but more earnest heed, excuse me, of the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, watch verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. I lift out those words in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I want to preach on the thought salvation's procrastination. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we get into thy word. We thank you for it. And dear Holy Spirit, do the preaching that I cannot do. I'm just a voice. Help me, Lord. Deliver the message through me. Arrest all hearts, Lord, today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This text before us here is about people letting things slip, he says. It's about those that have heard the truth, but neglect so great salvation. The word procrastination means The definition in the the dictionary says the action of delaying or postponing something. I'm a procrastinator in certain areas. I'm sure you are in others. I've had some projects around the house that I told my wife I was going to do, and I have been procrastinating. Um, It's not a good thing, but we all do it. That's not a big thing because, you know, we can go on without those things being done. But when it comes to a soul salvation, when you procrastinate believing on Jesus Christ as Savior, you do your soul great harm. And I know many people that I've met through the years that say to me, family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers that I've talked to about Jesus and believing on Him as their Savior, they'll say, you know, I fully intend one of these days to to be saved. Preacher, you're right. I'm going to do something about that. But right now, I'm just going to live my life the way I feel I ought to live it and so forth. But the procrastination of salvation is a dangerous thing. 
The word procrastination means putting off or make, uh, put the putting off of making right decisions or getting things right. There's some Christians sitting here today and you know the Lord. You, you can go back to a time and a place where you called on Jesus to be your Savior. Maybe you were a child. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe you were a young adult. I don't know. Maybe you were in the military far from home and God got a hold of your heart. I, I don't know. Maybe you were in a hospital bed. Maybe you had just uh, uh, suffered a death in your family. And so the reality of death in life was was so true to you and you searched your soul and you got under conviction and you called on the Lord. Many people come to Jesus in many different circumstances of life. We say, preacher, I know that I'm saved, but you're not living for the Lord. You say, one of these days I'm going to make that right. Procrastination is dangerous. One of these days, pastor, I'm going to start afresh and anew with God and myself and with other people. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But you keep putting that off. I've seen so many people that have heard the gospel or have been presented the gospel in a very clear fashion that at the end of a witness or a conversation or a discussion say, no thanks. Not now. I have seen the Holy Spirit bring conviction in, in a person's heart and have them walk away thinking that there'll be another day There'll be another chance. There'll be another opportunity to repent and receive the Lord Jesus. But I want to tell you this. Almost 40 years of preaching. Some never did get saved. They intended to. They were thinking about it. They said they knew they needed to. But some I've known went into eternity and never got saved. Some never again felt the conviction that they once felt after a sermon or a certain meeting or a family talk. And you know what happened? They were seeking that same conviction they once felt and it didn't come to them. Listen, if you're here today and you've never been convicted by the Holy Spirit, you're on dangerous ground. And if the Holy Spirit has spoke to you and you know you ought to be saved or as a Christian you know you ought to get things right in your life, hey, it's about time we do it. Quit procrastinating. Quit putting that off. Some went off into their eternal destiny sooner than they planned. Hey, I just got back from a funeral of a 55-year-old pastor. Full intentions to go on with the work. Had all kinds of plans. Woke up with not feeling well and his heart started having complications. And he died in just a matter of hours. Went to a funeral of a man of God whose church is devastated this morning. The family's devastated. You know, we, we say, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. The Bible says, say, don't say that. If the Lord will, I'll do this or that. Procrastination, I want to talk about today, and its penalty. First of all, what is the great salvation that may be neglected? We just read it. So great salvation. Well, basically, there's a lot of things we could say here, but salvation is the deliverance from sin. And it is the experience of peace with God. See, that's what God wants. Peace with God. I know people, you know people, that they're living their life and they're not happy. They're not satisfied. They're not fulfilled. Their life is not at rest or peace. And they keep chasing after so many things. This world's full of stuff that take our attention away from this truth this morning. Hey, listen to me now. If you're here and you're trying to find some kind of joy or excitement or fulfillment in, in maybe the way you want to do your life or the plans that you have, listen, listen. You need peace with God. You need peace of God. You need to know that you have been made right with God. And been delivered from sin. 
The gift of salvation is expensive. Not for us, because we couldn't pay enough for it. Not with our good works, we can't have enough to attain it. The Bible says, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. 1 Peter 1.18 verse 19 says, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus Christ already paid the price. He already shed his blood. He already made a way of escape. But so many say, okay, but not now. Not today. Galatians 2 and verse 16, the apostle Paul wrote, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't do enough good things. I talk to people about their soul all the time. He says, well, I'm a pretty good person, and, and I'm this, and I'm that. Hey, we're all lost, and we need a Savior. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. Not us. You can't do enough. The Apostle Peter said here about soul redemption that it's through the precious blood of Jesus. Yes, Jesus. He died on the cross over 2,000 years ago. He shed his blood to wash away our sin debt. So it's costly. Not for us, but for God and God's Son. Jesus paid that high price for our sin. Thank God. The second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God to him. So I'm glad I'm, I'm saved today. I hope you are. And if you're not, quit putting it off. Quit setting it aside for another day. Stop your procrastination. The cost of salvation is great. And that cost was paid so that you and I would not have to go to a, a hell that Jesus talked about in the Bible, but go to the heaven that he talked about as well. And by the way, Jesus spoke more about hell in the Bible than he did about heaven. Did you know that? It's a warning. Pastor Williams has been preaching on the admonition, or teaching on it last two Sundays. Admonition, you need to, you need to take it concerning your soul's destiny. God's word calls our redemption so great salvation. Why is this? Because calling upon Jesus saves us from hell. Now, I wish, I wish hell was not in the Bible, but folks, it is. It is. It's a truth. Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul wrote, Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 2 Peter 3, 19, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to miss heaven. Obviously, he doesn't want anybody to end up in hell. So, preacher, I don't like that. I don't like that hell preaching. I don't like that. I'm sorry, friends. It's in the Bible. It needs to be taught. It needs to be preached. You need to deal with it. Hell is real. It's not make-believe. It's not made fun of. October's the month where everybody gets all ready for Halloween. Our block is already full of all the decorations and all that. And I was thinking today, how many people do that? Maybe just to kind of not think about the reality of that truth of hell. But it's coming. And people want to make fun of it, but it's not fun. It's real. Jesus talked in Luke chapter 16, verse 23, of a man that kept putting off, putting off, putting off God. And it says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. He died. The scripture said he went to hell. And here's the words I don't like to hear. Being in torments. 
and see it Abraham afar off in his bosom. Listen, the Bible teaches about this existence. I won't go into all of it, but it talks about the darkness and the falling and the suffering and no rest and no pity and no escape. Hell is no joke. In hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 18 says, And he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. That usually is a word in the Bible meaning abyss, the lowest part of hell. And Jesus said this statement many times. Mark chapter 9 verse 44, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. There's been some pretty wild, uh, well-known preachers that said, well, I don't know, in their stupidity, they have said, I don't know if hell's really real. It might just be figurative. No, it's what Jesus said it was. It's a place of torments and suffering. It's a place of fire. It's a place of eternal judgment. It's a place where nobody gets out of, where the worm dieth not. Now, some have looked at that word worm, and they don't know really how to interpret it. Many have an opinion about that. The worm can mean literal worm, maggots. I can't even imagine being in a place where maggots are all over an individual, in their eyes, in their ears, crawling all over them. And, and I'm telling you what, it is something we don't even want to consider, but that is one interpretation. But the other interpretation is that that's us, a worm, un, unworthy, unrighteous, that we die not. Folks, after this life, there is another life. This life is short. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 90, uh, four score, or, or three score and ten, 70 years, average life expectancy, some far less, some more. 80, if by reason of strength. And then it says we fly away. Somewhere, someday, I and you are going to face God. Are you ready? Oh, I didn't know I was coming for this, friend. It could be the appointment God wanted you to come and wanted you to hear, especially if you don't know Jesus. Quit putting it off. Countless souls have entered into hell. Listen to the description of God through the prophet Isaiah about hell. He says in Isaiah 5 and verse 14, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself, and openeth her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp. And he that rejoices shall descend into it. What the prophet is saying here is, hell has enlarged, it's grown, it's, it's got so much capacity, but it has enlarged itself to take in more, to take in more, to take in more. Only God knows how many souls are in the abyss of hell this morning. I say, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're not sure you know Jesus, friend, don't end up there. Amen. It's not a place you want to be for all eternity. Oh, I believe when this life's over, it's over. No, that's not what the Bible says. So I believe when we die, we die like an old dog. You know, we just live our life and wag our tail and have our fun. And when life's over, it's just over. No, it's not. There's an eternity either with God or not with God. Hell hath enlarged itself because of the multitudes that enter there. And here's the reason. Through unbelief. Some will say, well, I've done terrible things. I can't be saved. I ought to go to hell. I've had people say that. And, and you know, that's not the reason. The reason people end up in hell is because they choose not to believe on Christ. It's not one particular sin. Our sins are a symptom of a bigger problem. But the good news is, Bible salvation tells of one entrance into heaven, and that's through Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me. He's it. Believe on him. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. That's Jesus. That's so great. Salvation was procured for us by Jesus on the cross. Don't neglect salvation. Second of all, 
the question arose in my heart, how can this salvation be neglected? And I believe this. This is opinion. I'll just give you opinion, but it's going to draw us to a conclusion. Not everyone intentionally tries to miss heaven and go to hell. I don't know of anybody to say, no, I'd rather go to hell. Now, I've had people that I've witnessed to being a smart aleck or something, trying to, maybe trying to be a big shot or somebody tough. So, oh, I want to go to hell with all my buddies. We're going to play cards. We're going to drink and smoke cigars. All that foolishness. Hell's nothing like that. It's not having a good time with your buddies. That's not hell. Hell's worse than that. According to the scripture. But I believe not everybody intends to end up in hell. I believe for the most part, many people are just, they're not even thinking about eternity. They're living their lives every day. Many through Bible ignorance, that means, they're, I'm not calling them a name, I'm saying they don't know what the scripture says, they end up in hell. And again, many feel and count on getting to heaven someday, one of these days. And you know what? Religion has invented a kind of an escape route that's not an escape route. Man has come up with philosophies like purgatory. That's not in the Bible. That's been placed there by men. And by the way, it was used to kind of, it's kind of entrap people and get money out of people. You pay indulgences, you pay, you pay for masses, and you pay for beads, and you pay for... Uh, uh, little uh, scapulars I can't remember the name of them but you wear them because that wards off sickness and you get your throat blessed by St. Blaise every year so you don't have colds and flus and all that stuff that didn't come out of the Bible that came out to control people's thinking purgatory purgatory is not in the Bible limbo is not in the Bible Hell and heaven is mentioned in the Bible. Amen. Sadly, someone can and in fact neglect and miss salvation through many different ways. I'm going to give you these quickly. Here's one, how people miss so great salvation by letting or allowing what they've been told, the scripture says, slip. He says, wherefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. The word slip means to slip past us or away from us, to glide by. It means for a thing to escape me or slips my mind. Let me tell you something. There are some people that have been raised up in church their whole life, and every once in a while they'll hear a message on salvation. Sometimes they'll hear a preacher preach on hell. Sometimes they've heard a preacher preach on the judgment of God. It's not the subject every Sunday. Of course it's not. The whole counsel of God. But every once in a while, the Holy Spirit will nudge the preacher to preach a serious message about eternity and hell and the judgment of God. And many people have heard that through their youth as they've been raised up in church. And you know what? I know this. There are some that have heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it, and they don't have salvation. They've let it slip past them. I pray it's not you. Because you know what? You can get this thing which man calls gospel hard. You say, I've heard that all my life. I'm tired of hearing that. I come to this special day for Steve Everett or for a friend or a grandma or aunt and uncle, and I come and I have to hear this. If by appointment of the Lord that you hear, you better not let this thing slip you by you. So great salvation can be missed by the things that we let slip away. Neglect salvation in failing to heed the warning. He says here, we ought to give more earnest heed. What does that mean? Pay attention to it. It's something important. It's one thing to hear about it. It's quite another to heed and obey it. I want to say something here about a lot of people that end up in hell. Here's one of the reasons why they get there. Listen now. It's because they absolutely do nothing about it. They just keep living life. 
They remain unheeding. They do nothing. They ignore the gospel. They pass on the, the, the offer of salvation. In other words, they stay right where they're at. That is my message today. Salvation's procrastination. I'll hear it again, and I'll just let it go by again. There's coming a day. There's coming a time where you're not going to get away with that. Salvation can be neglected on this way, focusing and seeking after the material and temporal things of this life. Nothing wrong with things. But Jesus told that man in Luke chapter 12, who had many riches. The Bible said he, he built barns, and he tore down those barns, and he built other barns, and he said to his soul, I, I'm going to build, tomorrow I'm going to build me greater barns where I may bestow all my goods. You know what God told that man? He said, thou fool. Thy soul shall be required of thee this night. How many people have plans to gather up all their stuff? I heard an old preacher say years ago, you can't go to heaven or hell pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> Where's all that stuff going to go? But again, in Luke 12, we read this. The man said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, there's his mistake. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be which thou hast provided? His mistake was, he said, my soul, our souls don't belong to us. The Bible teaches that, that all souls belong to God. God gives us life. That's a gift. And you can live your life. But your soul, listen, my soul don't belong to me. It will go back to God. All souls are mine, Proverbs. So this man said, I'm, I tell you, what, soul, eat, drink, and be merry. He was thinking he owned his soul. He doesn't, and you don't. Amen. I want to talk about, and I'll move on, penalty of neglecting and procrastinating so great a self. What is the penalty? Let's think of a courtroom this morning. I don't know if you've ever been one. Hopefully you haven't. Maybe you've been there for someone else. But you think of a courtroom, and you stand before a judge, and he's getting ready to pronounce someone's fate or sentence because of their deeds done. That person that's facing a judge, he hopes for leniency. He hopes for an easy sentence. He hopes for a, a way of doing any real time. This hope may be, in his or her mind, a fine. Maybe some probation. Maybe a little bit of community service. I, I've seen people have called the church here through the years and we've given them things to do because they had to fulfill community service. I see it. I got in the car the other day, drove down Plymouth Road at Plymouth and Farmington. I've seen it at Plymouth and Merriman. I've seen it downtown Livonia. They're there and they got a little, they got a little orange vest on and they got a, a van parked there. It's, a, it's Wayne County or it's, it's the Livonia Police Department or whatever community somebody might live in, and they're out there, you know what they're doing? They're working community service for what they've done. Maybe they got arrested for drunk driving. Maybe they got arrested for doing, uh, doing drugs. Maybe they got arrested for getting their bar fight. I don't know what they did, but they stood before a judge, and the judge says, you're going to do this. And a lot of people don't want that because I'll tell you, it is a walk of shame. I see these people and they don't, they're not happy that everybody driving by that may know them or know their family sees them out there picking up garbage and, and fixing the flowers or fixing uh, the bricks that have gone loose on the corner where they're working. They, they're doing community service. I and some of the other men, we go to Jackson, we've gone there and preached the gospel to people in prison. 120 sometimes, 140 sometimes, preaching. Many of them are in there for four or five years. I've met men in there, been there for 25 years. 
What are they doing? They're paying out a sentence that's been placed upon them by a judge. And everybody that's ever stood before a judge, they're thinking, well, I hope I just get a fine or maybe community service. They stand before a judge in anxiety and fear and trepidation. Why? The negligence of the law. They did what they thought was right. But it was wrong. They justified what they did. I talk to people all the time. Well, they, didn't, they shouldn't have stopped me. And they, they, shouldn't have, they shouldn't have done this. And it wasn't my fault. It was a set of circumstances. When it comes to the soul, there is no excuses. Because, yes, we can live our life the way we want to. There's a penalty to pay for that. There's sickness and there's trouble and there's heartache for people that we hurt when we live the way we want to live. Or, let's God, I'm going to live the way I want. Go ahead. That's fine. God gave you that life. But your soul don't belong to you. There's a penalty for the soul. Hebrews 12, 25, the Bible says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Friend, you better listen to God. You don't have to listen to me. Maybe some young people, you don't have to listen to your parents. You don't have to listen to your youth leader. You don't have to. I mean, it'd be good if you did. You don't have to. But you have to listen to God. You better listen to God. Because I'll tell you this. The Bible says that Jesus is the judge of all men. And one day everybody will stand before Jesus and give an account of themselves to God. That's a big day. There's a judgment called the white throne judgment for everybody that knows not Jesus as Savior. That's the judgment of the lost. And when that judgment's done, he's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And then there's a judgment for the Christians. It's called the, white, it's called the, the, the bema or the, the judgment seat of Christ. That's for our works done or not done for Christ. Thank God it's not for sin. That's subtle. Praise God. As a Christian, I won't face my sin. It's been nailed on the cross, and Jesus paid for it with his shed blood. Amen. But I will give an account to God for my Christian life. And that's going to be a sad day. Penalty certain, folks. We will stand before the judge. The penalty is sure. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14, just a few verses. I'm going to move on and we'll be done. Romans chapter 14, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Jesus is the judge. And let me tell you something. He knows all the facts. Here's something else. He knows our motive. He knows the word. He is the word. He knows what is in the heart of all mankind. So he knows what's in your heart and mine and life. The penalty is just according to the word of God. Hebrews 2 we read. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received. A just recompense of Reward. Whatever God says is going to happen is right and it's just. You know what God expects from us? To admit our fault, ask for forgiveness, and place our faith in Jesus Christ. My final point, and I'm done. The final ultimate extreme penalty is found in Matthew 25, 41. I'll read it for you. And then shall they say unto him on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, eternity is lostness. Eternity is rejection. Hey, listen. God is a gracious, loving, merciful, long-suffering God. Amen. But you cannot reject his son. And get away with it.
You see, God the Father watched his son become sin for us on the cross of Calvary. He took all the sin of mankind upon himself. He was beaten, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, unrecognizable as a man. If we saw Jesus on a cross, it would just be like a piece of flesh hanging there. He wouldn't even be recognized as a human being. And God's going to let his son go through that and let you and I reject him? No way. No way. So, well, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Every time you hear the gospel and you say, no, thank you. I don't need it. I don't believe. I've had so many people, I try to witness to them and they take the track. And, I don't need this junk. I've had people get in my face. I've had people be belligerent. I've had people cuss me out. That's fine. You're going to have some of that. But I'll tell you, I believe one day, anybody's ever done that when the gospel's been presented to them, they will stand before God and all those memories will come back. I'm not trying to get even with anybody, but I'm going to tell you something. God will get even with all those that spit on his son, rejected his son, mocked his son, belittled his son, treated his son, death at Calvary, as naught. But I got good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't want anybody to end up in hell. He's given the ultimate sacrifice, his own son. Friend, sin has to be dealt with. It cannot be swept under the rug. God knew that, and he gave his son to take our place. Physical death is the penalty of sin. Paul wrote in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Praise God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The gift of God. That's, that's great. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. But death is the penalty for sin. Physical death. Hey, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Here's a verse. Revelation 20, 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Listen. And the dead were judged out of those things who were written in the book according to their works. Ouch. Because we're not good. Even us saved people, we're not good. We have an old nature. We have an Adamic nature. We're not good. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the blood. Physical death is a penalty. One of these days I will die, and so will you. That's part of the penalty. Death is the cessation of life. Life as we know it ends and then starts the afterlife. Again, Luke 16, and in hell he lifts it up his eyes, being in torment. A friend of mine a week ago lost his life to death. Devastated for the family. Devastation for the church. Hard. But he was a saved man. He was a man of God. And Paul said to be asked from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Thank God for that hope. But death is a cessation of life. One of these days we'll take our last breath. I, I went to see Kern the other day. I got back from Virginia and I heard that he was back in the hospital and I came and showered and shaved about 1 o'clock and got changed and did my best to get over to the hospital to see him and went over to see Kern and we witnessed to Kern so many times his family's witnessed to him and, and Kern has come for special days probably he would have been a day like this if he was invited he's come to golf outings he's come to picnics he's come to old fashioned day he's, he's come but he's rejected 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 no thank you no don't want anything to do with it <clears throat> but then Illness came, and I've seen God working on him. So I went to the hospital. They said they're just going to give him, they're just going to give him comfort measures. Took all the tubes off and just let things happen. And I went, and I thought he'd be already kind of out of it, but he wasn't. He was awake. He, he talked to me. He was glad I was there. We talked, and he'd kind of fall asleep. He'd wake up, talk some more. 
still lucid. In my mind, I thought, well, he's got several more days here. He's able to talk. And I prayed with the family. <clears throat> I got ready to leave, and I walked away, and he said, Pastor, I'll never forget. He said, I love you. Now, we're talking about a man that would have never told me that in a million years. He told me two or three times here recently. I think there were times where he wanted to tell me some other words. You know what I mean. But God did a work in his heart. And I said, I love you too, Kern. I put my hand on his head and I said, I'll be back to see you tomorrow. And he said, all right. Well, tomorrow never came. He went into eternity. But let me tell you something else. About six weeks ago, I went to see him. Tried to make sure if he was saved and talked to him again. And he told his family, I'm okay. But they felt he wasn't okay. I didn't know if he was okay. And I said, let me tell you a testimony. Not mine, but let me tell you about my dad, Kern. And he's, I said, my dad is so much like you, Kern. A man's man, an independent man, a strong man. Let me tell you how God worked in my father's heart, how he came to know the Lord as his Savior. So I told him a story, and I saw tears well up in his eyes. And I said, please look at this track. Please receive Christ. And I left. A few more days, a family member said, you know, Daddy said he got saved. He said, I did what Pastor Brown told me to do. So I went back. I went back and talked to him. And I said, Kern, I heard you trusted Jesus as your Savior. And he goes, yes, I asked him to forgive me. I asked him to be I heard that with my own ears. And I'm going to tell you something. Kern put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. Didn't want it. Wasn't interested. I want nothing to do with that church. I want nothing to do with that blank to blank preacher. I want nothing to do with that. Hey, hey, that's reality. But every man has to come to the place where you're not as big as you think you are. Tough as you think you are. Strong as you think you are. There's going to come a day in your life and mine where we're going to be very puny, very weak. You're going to say, I need God. And I hope you have enough sense to do it. Because death's calling. It's coming. There'll be physical death. You'll experience it. There'll be the cessation of life. It's over. But here's the worst one. Death is absence of God. Death is the absence of God. Death is that no God. When people go to hell, there's no God there. Nothing to do with God. No pity, no righteousness, no loveliness, no peace. That's not in hell because God's not there. Death is separation from God. The hardest thing we got to deal with when we say goodbye to our loved ones is separation. We're not going to see them. We're not going to talk to them. We know where they're planted, but we can't talk to them. We can't, we can't speak to them. We can't enjoy their fellowship. It's cessation. It's over. It's separation. Thank God there's coming a reunion day and we will see our loved ones that are in Christ and we will enjoy their fellowship and feel their embrace and hear their laugh. Amen. But those without Christ will not get that because there'll be no God for them. See, we can't tell God no and then say, expect for him to say, okay, show up for me now that I'm in hell. No, it don't work that way. We do not get away with rejecting God's Son as Savior, and we do not get away with saying, God, I want you in my life when I want you in my life. It don't work that way. I'm going to finish. Don't die without Jesus Christ as your Savior. Friend, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. I hope you know Jesus. And I'll say to the saved, listen, saints, you're saved, you're going to heaven. Amen. But listen, let's honor God with the life he gave us in Christ. It's not, as Pastor Williams taught this morning, about us. It's about him. But if you're here, if there's someone here, if there's a young person here, if there's an adult here, if there's a visitor here, if there's somebody who's been coming here for quite a while and you're not sure you're saved, don't die and end hell and end up in hell. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Let's bow our heads if we would, every head bowed.